0: Pain is a terrible thing to waste. At least that's what my trauma therapist friend says. So how are we using the pain of this difficult time we find ourselves in of pandemic and protests and politics so that we can be better people, better followers of Jesus? Hey friends, I'm Mark Allen Shelsky and this is the Apprenticeship Way podcast, a podcast about spiritual growth following the way of Jesus. This is episode 35. Your values are showing. Now today we come to the final part of a three-part conversation with my friend Byron Kaler. Byron's a trauma therapist with nearly 40 years of experience and we've been talking about the emotional impact of this weird moment in time that we are all living through. In the first part of our discussion, that's episode 33, we talked about how trauma is shaping our experience of this moment. This is why so many of us are feeling so many big and confusing and even overwhelming feelings we're having both an individual and even a nationwide trauma response. In the second part of our conversation, episode 34, we talked about how we're all experiencing some level of grief, even those of us that don't recognize it. See, grief is the emotion you feel when you lose something and we are all losing things. We've been losing things since March. Some small things like going out to restaurants, some pretty big things like our businesses or our health. If we don't recognize this grief and face it and deal with it, it's going to create a lot of problems for us. It already is. A lot of the irrational behavior that we're seeing around us is honestly just an attempt to avoid grief. So today we're going to end our conversation with Byron, talking about how this experience is shaping us. Who are we becoming as a result of all of this? Now, before we jump into the conversation, I want to remind you that this whole series is sponsored by The Untangled Heart. This is a resource to help you learn how to understand and relate to your emotions. We've got two different ways that you can go through this material, and we think will be helpful for you, especially right now. The first resource is The Untangled Workbook. This is a short, guided journal that will teach you a simple process for sitting with your emotions and learning from them. It's perfect if you're a hands-on learner or a self-starter, you just wanna know the basics so you can move forward and just dig in. This'll really work for you. The first 30 pages of the journal teach the basic principles of how emotions work in our brains and bodies, something I was never taught growing up, what's really going on inside when we're having an emotional reaction. The remainder of the journal is a template that will walk you step by step through a particular emotional experience so that you can notice, identify, and understand the emotions happening. And that template is repeated 10 times so that you can practice it with different experiences. If you're feeling swamped or overwhelmed, this tool can help you. It's already being used by therapists around the nation to help their clients be able to work through and process emotional experiences. If you'd like to learn more about the journal, what's in it, uh, or pick up a copy for yourself Check out the link on the screen or in the show notes. You can find it at www.markalanshelsky.com forward slash untangledworkbook. The second resource is an online course that Byron and I made together, the Untangled Heart Workshop. I'm really proud of it. This online course starts with the same material as the workbook, but it goes in a lot deeper because it's an online course, you can do it at home while you're quarantined. It includes five hours of video teaching, both from me and from Byron, guided journal questions to help you uh, own the material and understand it, a 23-page downloadable notes packet. You can do the whole thing at your own pace and you'll have access to it as long as the internet or the website is still there. If you need a little more direction and support as you work through this material, the online course is great because it includes a place where you can ask your questions and get feedback directly from me. Learn more about that at www.untangledheartcourse.com. All right, on to our main conversation. At the end of the last episode, Byron said that we are living in a real-time values clarification exercise. Let's talk about what that means. Well, Byron, thank you so much for coming back and continuing this important conversation about how we are navigating this strange time of pandemic and protests. Uh, We've talked about several aspects of that, but at the end of our last conversation, you said that we're living in a real-time values clarification exercise and that is really intriguing to me i'm interested to hear more of what that means and i'm hoping that as you explain that to us we can also begin to talk about maybe who we're becoming and how we move through this in a way that ends up being better for all of us rather than just a reactionary
1: mess so real time values clarification exercise what does that mean it's good to be back thank you and um i'm glad that this is number 3 In our conversations, because I suspect that this may feel a little more controversial uh, for folks than the first two. Because in this one, we're talking a little bit about ourselves and what's being revealed about us. In order for us to understand that, I think we need to understand a little better what values are and uh, what they're intended to do for us. Values are, put simply, those things that we set as a priority those things that we believe, that we hold dearly to, and the purpose of values is that they, I I think of it as they act as a compass for us in directing our decision-making, in um, adjusting and directing our behavior based on the things that we think and that we believe.
0: Okay, so you're talking about like internal uh high level motivations like i care most about personal freedom or i care most about my family and feeling connected to my family
1: or things like that yes and they can range their you know priorities are personal to every individual um yeah. and they can be like you say having a close family uh, writing a book uh getting popular being famous mm-hmm. uh making money being known, all of those are personal values. Being right. spiritual, wanting a relationship with God, all of those are our own personal values. Okay. I think what's tricky, Mark, is that for many of us, our personal values go unevaluated. I think that's the key to this conversation. Oftentimes, we adopt the value system that we were exposed to as children growing up in our homes. And so without any kind of examination of that or evaluation of that, we simply, you know, um, walk away with you're important or you're valuable if you look a certain way, achieve a certain thing, et cetera. Our stories, again, like we've already talked about, have an enormous influence on, the values personally that we hold.
0: Okay, so maybe a connection there is that if I grew up and my story is shaped in such a way that I find a sense of security in, in performing well, then it's likely if I haven't spent time thinking about it that I've developed a value that goes along with that of maybe wanting to be in the spotlight or wanting to be seen as uh, really smart and educated or... Something like that, right? That I'm going to pursue things
1: that allow me to kind of fill that story drive. Yes, for sure. Okay. And I think also what's tricky about our values is that they get expressed most often in our behavior, even though that may not align itself with our beliefs. Okay. Since they're often unconscious or undefined, our values. Mm-hmm. We can live incongruently without hardly knowing it, and that creates a certain angst um, in us where what we are believing doesn't play out in how we're living. Okay, so can you give an example of that where I might where I might
0: have a certain value or think I have a certain value, but my behavior indicates a
1: different value? Uh, let's say a pastor. Uh, goes to church. He's preaching on Sunday morning, but on the way home in the car after church, he treats his family in a way that's completely incongruent with what he's just taught. Okay. And so, so it it, it they don't mesh together. Um, one's not an expression of the other. And I think that that happens for us uh, in the Christian walk frequently is that we may say honesty is really important to us, sobriety is really important to us, especially when the church gathers only to live differently (laughs) outside of that.
0: We might have certain then aspirational values or values that, for whatever reason we feel like are important to hold, because of Mm -hmm. our community or whatever, but our behavior over time is going to be a more accurate barometer of what our values really are.
1: Well said, yes. Because it plays out what's really true for us. Okay. And I think especially for us as Christians, that almost, um, and this might be the first controversial thing I say, that might almost be a good description of sin when our behavior, when our actions don't align with our value system as kingdom people. Like, okay. we're not living what we believe.
0: Or, or maybe would you say what we're living, which is talking about, which is expressing what we deeply believe is out of alignment with kingdom values. Yes. Right. That I may, that I may say, I want to be a compassionate person, but then I may have other driving stories inside of me that, Allow me to treat people not compassionately and not see or feel the dichotomy between that contradiction.
1: Yes. So now that we've talked a little about what our values are, what they're intended to do, how they play out, where they come from, that lays a foundation for that comment I made earlier about the fact that we are all living a values clarification exercise. What I mean by that in this current pandemic and quarantine that we're experiencing is that we are experiencing what psychology has used in the past kind of in a a manufactured manner to help people identify what their value systems are and how they play out. Mm. And usually they do that by um, presenting uh, an individual with some kind of imagined dilemma. And so back then it was The world is coming to an end. You're going to have to repopulate the planet. You get to choose who goes into the bunker with you. That would reveal to people whether you put a higher, you know, priority on education versus the ditch digger, or if you, you know, valued this more than that. And those exercises came in a variety of ways: lifeboats and and ships that were going down, all sorts of things. And so those were imagined circumstances that we're dire and um, crisis-based. Right. The, the reality is that we don't, we don't have to make that up. Right. We we're are, in a
0: real situation that is dire and crisis-based. Look out yes, your window. Yes, we
1: are. That's provided us with this real-life, real-time values clarification exercise that we aren't imagining but that we are living in two. And that presents us, I think, Mark, with a variety of dilemmas that you hear people right now debating, arguing about, conflicted about. Wear Mm -hmm. a mask, not wear a mask. You can't shut the economy down. We have to. You know, those are all issues then that begin to reveal what we hold most dear. Okay, so we're
0: looking at these circumstances. We're not even looking at them intellectually. We're just experiencing them. Stuff is happening. It's out of our control. And the way we're reacting, you're saying, is surfacing or revealing for us values that we
1: hold. Absolutely. And so those are also influenced, again, by our stories. Right. But whether I wear a mask or not, that's an issue of a value that we hold. The value of this terrible experience we're all having is that it invites us into the opportunity to examine, explore, and evaluate whether the values that we hold are truly ours, whether we've adopted them from elsewhere, from a political party, from our family system, from the church. Are they Mm -hmm. truly ours? Or have we unconsciously just kind of carried them along with us? And that's important because when we are not living with our values aligned with what we believe, that creates angst, dissatisfaction, a lack of congruency, and a lack of happiness, I think, in our lives. Hmm. And I think some of what's happening for people is they're experiencing a lot of confusion Uh because um, some of those values are floating to the surface and because they're crashing into the values of their neighbors.
0: Right. Right. Because not everybody agrees on this. We're making different choices and you might be making choices, let's say about the issue of wearing masks. You might be making a choice about not wearing a mask. My experience of you not wearing a mask isn't about your reason for not wearing a mask. It's about my experience of what that means to me. So like you might be wearing a mask because you feel like, you know, the information you have is that the virus isn't that big of a deal. And what's really important to you is personal liberty. That's all inside your head. But I'm looking at you as your neighbor and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this guy doesn't care about my family. He doesn't care about my kids. He's not concerned that grandma might die. What a jerk. So my value and your value, even if we've not even talked about it, our
1: values are in conflict about that
0: particular thing. Yes.
1: I want people to hear that the mask is simply one example of right. many. Like the, the dilemmas with this pandemic just continue to roll. One day it's masks. The next day it's do we open up the economy and be able to go to restaurants? The next day it's are we going to open schools in the fall? All of those are moral dilemmas. Like all of those are values clarifying. Do children need an education and does that have to be in the classroom, you know, or is uh, personal safety and health a higher priority? Right, and that same thing is
0: happening as well as we're seeing the protests nationwide. Am I wrestling internally with a value of good people don't destroy property? Mm -hmm. And good people stick up for people who are being abused. Yes. Right? And I'm holding both of those things, and now all of a sudden, I'm having to put them together side by side and say, well,
1: which of these is more
0: important to me?
1: Yes. And I wish, Mark, that we could have conversations around those things, rather than debates of um, are all the protesters right or wrong? Are they bad? Or are they good people? And again, it's not simplistic. It's, it's complicated, which is why we're experiencing what we are. But I think that it would be far healthier and more helpful and productive if we could have the conversations actually about the values that we hold, why right. we hold them and where they come from. What do I hold most dearly? The virus is not an equal opportunity killer it, it is hitting people in our communities in different ways. And so a values clarification exercise that we watched on the beaches of Florida were 20 to 35 year olds gathering, enjoying, you know, the holidays and all of those things while the elderly were dying in nursing homes. Mm -hmm. So if, if the, Pandemic was hitting all of us in a similar manner. Like if we were all at similar risk, values wouldn't be colliding like they are today. But the reality is that it's hitting us in different ways, and that creates much of the tension and the disparity between our how we respond and the values that we're holding. Right. So so for
0: example, someone who's fairly well off, that's got a nice emergency fund in the bank that doesn't have to go out very often, can order in all the supplies they need on Amazon. They're kind of looking out their window and like, yeah, this is an inconvenience, but I can still conduct my business by Zoom and, you know, I can get all the things that I need. It's not that big of a deal. Their experience is a lot different than the Mexican family who's, you know, three kids all work at the grocery store. One kid works at Amazon. Mom does cleaning overnight at daycares they're all of them are having to be out in the community interacting with lots of different people you know they may not have the same level of health care as the first example and so those two families are going to be not only experiencing this whole thing differently but probably having different values surface as they experience it
1: absolutely so there are certain vulnerable populations that we now know some of those have been medically compromised Uh, Respiratory problems, weight issues, diabetes, some of those kinds of things. And what we know, and this is where there's an intersection between the racial injustice and the COVID-19, is that we know that certain populations racially are more vulnerable. And so, for instance, 46% of Washington, D.C.'s population is African-American. They account for 81% of the deaths. Wow. And so what we know is Latinos are are dying at a higher rate. African-Americans are dying at a higher rate. So if you take Michigan, where they're protesting maybe in the streets, and you look around at the protesters, and most of those protesters are white.
0: You're talking about the quarantine protests in Michigan?
1: Yes. Yeah, where it's like, open up the state. We want to be able to go to our restaurants, all of those things. Yeah. And yet then you look at their numbers and you look and see oh blacks are dying at a much higher rate than whites and whites are the ones who are saying open up the city. Arkansas, Illinois, Louisiana, New York, Oregon, blacks are three times more likely to die of the virus than whites are. That's staggering. Yeah, it really is.
0: It and then really is.
1: and then what that translates into is do you and I for instance, as white folks who are less vulnerable hold any moral responsibility, values-wise, to um, care for our neighbor, to protect them?
0: That's a big question. I mean, that gets, that gets to the heart of a lot of deep stuff. You know, am I here for my own you know, maximizing my own experience. Am I here to get ahead? Am I a part of a larger community? How broad is that community? The question Jesus posed us, who is my neighbor? And, you know, and then what is my responsibility to my neighbor? I mean, that's, that's like serious, fundamental human
1: questions we have to answer. Right. Because as you've already pointed out, many of our first line workers like the people at Subway restaurant or like the people in the grocery store, those are the people that are highest vulnerability and risk. And oftentimes those are the people who can't afford to stay home.
0: Right. One example that I've heard is, you know, people saying, you know, I don't want to wear a mask. It's uncomfortable for me. I'm just going into this grocery store for 15 minutes. It shouldn't be that big of a deal. So that's one half of the transaction. I may go into a grocery store for 15 minutes But the cashier who's behind the counter is working an eight-hour shift. Yep. And so then the question is, wait a minute, is the mask for me or is the mask for the cashier? And I'm doing what I can to protect that cashier who has to be there, uh, that's a different perspective. Which is the higher value, right? My convenience, wow. my comfort, my personal liberty, or my participating in a larger community, my care for my neighbor. Like those are the values that are coming into conflict.
1: Right, like, like we probably, many of us heard this story or have watched the footage of somebody at Costco or somewhere else. Who is shouting out they're not gonna wear a mask because they were born in America. They <laughs> right. have civil rights. They get to decide. They're in the land of the free. Well, right. They're expressing very vocally their value system. Right. And that is my personal liberty, my rights eclipse in this moment the safety of others or you know, some of those kinds of things. And so our value systems are being paraded by our behavior, back to what we were talking about earlier, where our behaviors are expressions of the values that we really hold.
0: Right. It almost seems like in some ways it's not just a value clarification exercise for each of us individually, but it's a value clarification exercise for our culture. And one of the primary value pairs being tested is this value pair of personal liberty versus shared responsibility.
1: Even the tension in Washington, D.C., in politics, regardless of party, you see governors arguing with the, you know, with the White House about opening up schools in the fall. That's a tension that's occurring because of differing value systems. Mm -hmm. That have maybe been allowed to be dormant, but now, given the circumstances, are having to be addressed and come to the surface. And not just politically. If we want to get really dangerous, you and I can talk about the church and the church's response corporately. Congregations gathering without masks and without any social distancing. We don't want to be restricted. This is our religious liberty so it's that, it's that
0: same balance almost, now the value is religious liberty, this, it's my right to worship God as I please, versus does our behavior as a church bear witness in the community that we care for people besides ourselves?
1: In all honesty and transparency, I find myself, Mark, really confused and confounded to some degree by um, the evangelical community response. To some of this. Yeah. Because frankly, for me, there you can argue there are many things in the Bible that are not particularly clear, that we can debate about, you know, eschatology or this or that or whatever. But some of the things are just really, really clear. And what seems yeah. to be really clear is that we are our brother's keeper. We're to bear each other's burdens. We're to be careful that our freedom doesn't create a stumbling block for the weak and that uh, love bears all things. Yeah. Yeah. Even the discomfort of masks. Right. Right. (laughs) Like that would seem like a small thing.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a real struggle for me as well for exactly the reason that you say, you know, that I, that I believe that the way that I've been taught following Jesus is a, a path of uh, other-centered, co-suffering love, other-centered meaning, not necessarily that I always do what other people want, but that I am conscious of how what I do impacts other people. Yeah. And co-suffering, not that that means that I'm a doormat and I take on everyone's pain, but that I am willing to walk with other people who are in difficult circumstances insofar as that's appropriate. And so in this circumstance, you know, when I think about what does it mean to be other-centered, how do I think about how my choices impact other people, and what does it mean to uh, bear one another's burdens, to do co-suffering love, that means to enter into the difficulty with them, it suddenly becomes a lot clearer. Like, a mask is an inconvenience. It's a mild inconvenience. If my mask can help keep other people from getting sick and potentially even dying, that seems a fair trade. If our church can't meet for six months or a year in person, that is sad because we love being together. But if that allows it so that other people don't get sick and maybe
1: die, maybe that's a fair trade. I don't know how to read. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up for even Christ did not please himself. I don't know how to understand that aside from that you and I are to be salt and light and we're to care for the other and to be involved in ways that build up and safeguard and protect the other. Whether the other is the grocery store clerk or my African-American sibling, where there is some kind of hurt going on. In all of this, our values, again, are being paraded. Even within the faith community, Mark, the idea of we must gather as a collective. We must gather as a community in person to safeguard the faith. That's a value that's Mm -hmm. being expressed when pastors or others are saying, the church is this, like for the faith to continue, it must look like this. That's a value being expressed versus The church has been underground in various other places for decades and it survived just fine and thrived. What do I
0: do when what I'm seeing is that the values being paraded, as you say, are not what I wish was true of me. I see myself having reactions about certain things. Those reactions are revealing my values, you say. What if I don't like what I'm seeing?
1: When our values or our beliefs remain subconscious, then our temporal lobes, our our thinking brain doesn't really get a chance to even engage or choose. And so I think as we watch our values being um, exposed, we now have the opportunity to engage our thinking and our choosing around that which allows us i would argue to finally become better healthier more informed more present and aware this pandemic provides us wonderful and painful opportunity like (laughs) sorry but like, (laughs) we grow when we're stretched and all of us are being stretched and so this gives us an opportunity now when we see what has been paraded, when we look at those responses and we go, oh my goodness, yeah, that's coming out of a value system that I don't really believe. I get to do something now finally about that. I can choose to respond better if that's more compassion and more sensitivity or whatever it might be. But as long as it remains dormant and underground, we just merrily go on our way believing that all is well And we don't really have the opportunity to grow in that way.
0: That's what a lot of us have been doing, right? I think that part of the pain of this moment is all of this being exposed. Yeah. Right. When we didn't have to think about it, when we didn't have to decide, should I care about what's happening downtown? For example, a lot of us who live in the suburbs don't think about downtown at all, except for when we're going down for a show or a concert or a nice restaurant. Mm -hmm. You know, and the last two months downtown is on the radar every day. And a lot of us are thinking about it. That's new for us. Mm -hmm. Right. I can remember uh, seeing video news video of Japan in years past and seeing people on the street wearing masks and just thinking that's so strange. Right. That people Mm -hmm. would go out wearing masks and not giving it any thought because I'm not in Japan. I'm not a sick person. And now all of a sudden, you know, I've got a spate of masks hanging beside my keys. Now I'm having to think, if I'm to wear a mask, why am I wearing a mask? Mm -hmm. Am I wearing a mask because I'm afraid of getting sick? That's a certain value. Mm -hmm. Am I wearing a mask because me wearing a mask protects you from getting sick? That's a different value. Am I Mm -hmm. wearing a mask because me wearing a mask in public says something to the world about me caring about the community that I live in. Like that's a whole new level of thought I've never had to invest in before because this hasn't been a part of my life before. And it takes energy. It takes mental energy. It's difficult. I don't like that. I prefer the life where I didn't have to think about it at all.
1: Lawrence Kohlberg years ago talked about stages of moral development. And you've just illustrated some of those stages, like, do I do it because of pressure you know, from the culture? Do I do it because I believe it's right? Do I do it because I'm afraid I'm going to get in trouble if I don't? The call, and I think biblically the call, is for us to grow in our moral development so that ultimately we're responding to the world from this place where people are sacred. What does that mean? How do I engage in a way Um, not because I'm afraid of responses or of getting in trouble, but I don't steal because that's taking someone else's livelihood. And because of that, it's wrong, Mm -hmm. not because I'll go to jail, but because this is how we would live together when we love each other.
0: Right, love is the highest standard then. What does yeah. it mean? What does it mean for me to love you in a situation uh where we have a pandemic? What does it mean for me to love you in a situation where we have protests against police brutality? What does love look like? So, we're living in a values clarification exercise. We're seeing in ourselves and in the people around us and in our broader culture, we're seeing the conflict between different values, the level of urgency that arises within us around these things may be revelatory to us about our own values, which means that's something worth paying attention to. And if what we see isn't who we want to be or who we believe God's calling us to be, then we have an opportunity right now to begin reshaping our values.
1: Absolutely. Pain is a terrible thing to waste (laughs) because it's just so uncomfortable. And so the wise, I think, squeeze everything that we can out of those experiences so that they Mm -hmm. don't go to waste. We do not, as a culture and as individuals, want to waste a year of discomfort without growing through it.
0: Amen. Yeah. 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 How can we, how can we come out the other side of this season, better people, better Christians with a deeper network of care, with a stronger emphasis on loving each other, caring for those around us that are in need and having that be more natural to us. How can we get from here to there?
1: So as C.S. Lewis says, God whispers in our pleasure, but hollers in our pain because of wanting to awaken us and we're in pain. This is a good time to be awakened.
0: A good time to be awakened. I agree. Thank you, Byron, for being here and sharing this with us. I hope that we can think about this and come out the end better people uh, because we have looked our values in the face. Thanks for being in the conversation.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: So how are you reacting to everything going on around you right now? Masks, social distancing, not being able to meet with people face-to-face, churches not being able to meet and worship in the ways that we're used to, businesses closing, more than two months of nationwide protest against police brutality and racist policies, difficult decisions that we're making right now about schooling for our kids. And on top of all of that, we're ramping up to what's going to be one of the most intense and polarizing presidential elections I think any of us have ever seen that's a lot. How are you reacting to these things? Byron suggested that your reactions are putting your values on display. If that's true, do you like what you're seeing in yourself and in your community? And if you don't like what you're seeing, what are you going to do about it? See, we're going to come out of this. There's another side. We'll get through it. That's not the question. The question that matters is this. Who will we be when we come out the other side? Will we be people of Greater compassion? Will we be people of greater concern for our neighbors? Will we be people who are more connected to our own faith story? Will we be people who are learning how to live in other centered, co suffering love? Every day, as we respond to the realities of this moment, we are becoming someone. Who is that? My prayer for you is that you will do the difficult thing and face the pain and discomfort of this moment. So that you can grow. May you have the courage to see yourself honestly, and then, no matter the cost, choose the way of Jesus, the way of other centered, co suffering love. Thanks for listening. You will, of course, find the show notes for today's episode, including any links or resources mentioned, at www.MarkEllenShelsky.com forward slash TAW035. If you haven't already, please subscribe to my email list, www.markoptin.com. I have a brand new free little book for you that you will get when you subscribe. It's called The Anchor Prayer, a prayer and process for remaining grounded in a chaotic world. It's just seven short chapters. Most people will probably be able to read the whole thing in a couple of hours and will teach you a spiritual practice that has meant the world to me. You're gonna get that book for free when you subscribe to my email list. And you don't need to fear, I won't spam you. I email once or twice a month at most, usually during the summer months just once. It'll include links to a new blog post, if there's a new podcast episode, and then links to other things I have found, books or resources or articles that I think will be of benefit to your spiritual journey. If you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast so that you won't miss anything. Subscribe wherever you listen, the Apple Podcast app, any other podcast app out there. If you prefer the video, you can subscribe on YouTube. Most importantly, if you found today's conversation helpful, please share it with a friend, email it to them, post it on Facebook or on Twitter, write a review on Apple's podcast app. Those things are the best way to help this podcast reach more people. Until next time, remember, in this one present moment, you are loved, you are known, and you are not alone.